Well, I've entitled this message this morning, Fellow Workers with Christ. And our text is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. For those of you that are visiting here today, last Sunday in my sermon, our focus was on Jesus' statement to his disciples found in Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said this, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we unpacked some glorious truths found in that statement. We saw that Christ is indeed the foundation of his church, that Christ is the builder of his church, and that Christ is the victor of his church. In other words, Christ has won the victory over our enemies. We also learned that this was the first time the word church was found in the New Testament. Jesus is announcing that he will build something new on this earth. It will be his ekklesia. That's the word in the Greek there, meaning his called out ones, his church. Who he is. And what he has done will become the cornerstone for the church. That he is the son of God who took on human flesh and became the God man. That he lived the perfect life of obedience to God that none of us can live. And then he laid down his life as a sacrifice for the sins of every person who trusts in him for salvation. We remember that he was buried and he rose again the third day in a glorified human body. He ascended back into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to indwell and empower his followers For the purpose of building his church, starting, as we saw in Sunday school this morning, on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. We also looked at the truth that Christ is still building his church. Amen? Christ is still empowering and using his followers, his church, to build his church. His church is building his church. He is the architect of his church. He is the builder of his church. He is the head and owner of his church. And he is the victor over all of the enemies of his church. He will build his church. Amen? And nothing can stand against that. So at the end of the sermon last Sunday, I introduced the fact that God calls us as members of his church to be co-laborers with Christ in that 
unfinished task in that continuing work of building his church. And listen to me, it has been that way from the beginning. As I said earlier, starting on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had trained his disciples and equipped his disciples to be his witnesses, his co-laborers to build his church. He then instructed them to wait until his spirit was poured out upon them, would indwell them, would teach them and guide them and empower them as his workmen so that they would handle accurately the word of truth. Then they were to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth as co-laborers with Christ building his church. This they did, and we are here today as a result. For 2,000 years, the followers of Jesus Christ have been called by him, redeemed by him, empowered by him, and equipped by him to continue the task that is yet unfinished. The task to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to build his church. What an honor and privilege you and I have been given to be fellow workers with Christ in building up his church. Amen? Paul speaks of this very privilege and responsibility in our text for today, which is 1 Corinthians 3, verses 9 through 15. Please turn there in your Bibles. And we will hear Paul's affirmation of this building process as well as a warning regarding how we should build his church. So if you can, please stand for the reading of our text, which is God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. So in this text, we begin by seeing that we are called to be fellow workers with Christ. In verse 9, Paul uses the Greek word sunergos, Referring to himself and to Apollos, Sunergos is translated either fellow worker or co-laborer. 
In other verses, Paul uses the exact same word to refer to Timothy and to Epaphroditus and to others as well. God designed his church in such a way that each and every member of his church are to be co-laborers in building up his church. So the church is being built up by Christ, working in and through its members, working in and through you and I. This truth is repeated throughout the New Testament. And I mentioned this in my sermon last Sunday. When we read from Ephesians chapter 4, we see one of those passages. Let me remind you of a few of the verses in Ephesians 4 written by the Apostle Paul. Starting with Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. We read this. That he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And I went into a little bit of detail last Sunday, but let's just summarize it by saying this. It is the saints. It is you, the members of the church, who are equipped for the work of the ministry. And what is the work of the ministry? Building up the body of Christ, building up the church. And then in Ephesians 4, 15, and 16, we read this, that we are to be speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Note that it's held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Every member is joined together with every other member. And we have a responsibility, one to another, to be working properly, to be living out what God has commanded of us. And as we do so, we minister one to another, we build each other up, and guess what? In doing so, we're building up the church. Because remember, the church is not a building. It's not an organization. It's not a business. The church is you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ. As you disciple another brother or another sister, or you encourage them, or you speak the word into their lives, guess what? You are being used by God to build His church. So each one who's a member of Christ's church, through faith in Christ, are expected to work together with Christ in building up His church. This is exactly what Paul is telling the church in our text. Look again at verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, For we are God's fellow workers. Who's the we? Well, Paul and Apollos and all the rest of the followers of Christ. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else 
is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Paul identifies himself as the master builder or architect because he is the one who was sent by God to Corinth to plant a church there by teaching them about Christ, who is the foundation. So Paul was used by Christ for that initial planting work of laying that initial foundation of sharing the gospel, sharing the truth about who Christ is and what Christ has done. He was used in that special way. But note this. Paul acknowledges now that others are building upon that foundation. And he warns that they need to be careful in how they build. So make no mistake, as I said last Sunday, and I wanted to repeat it again today, the foundation is Christ. Look at verse 11. Paul says, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation for the church is a correct understanding of who Christ is and what Christ has done to provide salvation for his church. In the previous chapter of this letter, Paul reminded the Corinthians of how he had gone about laying that foundation, how he had gone about introducing them to Jesus Christ. It was done by preaching and teaching Christ to them. In fact, if you'd like to, you can flip back to 1 Corinthians 2. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, And when I came to you, brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What did Jesus, what did, excuse me, Paul come to preach to the Corinthians? How did he lay a foundation? By preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul taught them who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, the Savior sent by God, that he is in fact the Son of the living God, and that he is the only way to the Father. Later in this letter, Paul will remind them of what Jesus did to secure their salvation when he gives us the clearest and most concise definition of the gospel. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4, where we read these words. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. For I delivered to you what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Here's the foundation. For our lives as followers of Christ. Here's the foundation for the church. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done to save us. To save us from the wrath of God that we deserve. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. 
God loves us. And God has adopted us into his family, made us a part of his church, which is his visible kingdom on the earth. And our foundation is in Christ. And that foundation is secure. Just as we sang earlier, it is a sure foundation. We can stand upon Christ. So the foundation has been laid. God has sent teachers, missionaries, members of his church to build upon that foundation. So what are we called to do? What are you and I called to do? Well, we are called to be fellow workers building upon that foundation. And again, Paul warns us to, quote, take care how he builds. And that is elaborated then in verses 12 through 15. Let me read that again. 1 Corinthians 3, 12. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, the day, note that, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So there's various building materials mentioned here. And we could say that they fall into two categories. High-quality materials that will last even when tested, and low-quality materials that will not last, that will be burned up when they are tested. And the time of testing that Paul refers to here is the day. Speaking of the day of the Lord, the day when Christ returns. Oh, make no mistake, that day is coming. When Christ will return in glory for his church. That day is coming. And it will be a day of divine judgment. When we build with the right materials, what we build will pass the test will pass the divine judgment of God. But if we build with inferior materials, those will be burned up and result in no reward. In the context of this letter written to the Corinthian church, I believe that the inferior building materials represent the wisdom of the world the philosophies and teachings of men. And that's because earlier in this very letter, Paul warned against such building materials. So if you'd like to, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read a long passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 16. And it will not be on the screen. So you'll have to turn there if you want to follow along. Listen to what Paul writes. 
I'm going to actually start in verse 18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? <laughs> we could say that in spades today, couldn't we? Is there any wisdom in this world outside of the church? The answer is no, apparently not. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach what? Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen? There is a whole lot of truth in that. Be careful what you read and what you listen to. Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, we're not the wisest people in the world. We're not the smartest people in the world. We're not the most accomplished people in the world. That's not why God chose us. In fact, in most cases, it's just the opposite. I mean, let's just be honest, right? Why? So that he will receive all of the glory, not us. He didn't choose me because of what I could bring to the table. He chose me, and then he gave me what I need to do his will. And the same is true for every one of you who have trusted in Christ. Paul is telling us here not to build the church on the principles of this world, on the so-called wisdom of this world, on the philosophies found in this world. They are not good building materials. And he repeats these warnings in other letters that he wrote. Let me remind you of a few of those. In Colossians 
He writes this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. There are too many to number. There are too many to name. I mean, human wisdom and human reasoning and the philosophy of this world somehow justifies killing unborn babies. How does that make any sense? The traditions of this world and the philosophy of this world tells us that there was no creator, that everything came from nothing. How does that make any sense? Paul says, don't be taken captive by these teachings. Then in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 and 4, he writes to Timothy, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So, are we to listen to any teachers that claim to be Christians, no matter what they're teaching? Are we to listen to that? No, we're not even to listen to it if it doesn't line up with the word of God, if it doesn't line up with the sound teaching of Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't give them your ear. And then, in 1 Timothy 6, verses 20 and 21, he appeals to Timothy, his son in the faith. He says, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. What is that deposit? the word of God, the truth of God, the true gospel of grace. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. What a tragedy that is when we see men and women who get caught up in false teachings, and they swerve from the faith, from the truth. And so I took these verses and I made a summary of inferior building materials from these verses that we just read. And here's my list. Starts with the wisdom of men, the commandments of men, human philosophies, elemental principles, Different doctrine, other than what the Bible contains. Irreverent babble. A lot of that in our day and age, isn't there? Like on social media, a lot of that. And then so-called knowledge. Do you know that you can go online and find an expert with every opinion? Right? These are experts, right? It doesn't matter that they're all contradicting one another. They're all experts, right? Be careful. Be careful. 
These are the things that should not be used in building the church of Christ. These things will be burned up in the day of judgment. They will be destroyed. Paul says, take care how you build. So where do we find the proper building materials? We find them, no surprise here, in the Word of God. We individually and the church collectively are built up by the preaching, teaching, and sharing of the Word of God. I mentioned earlier that Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Timothy came to know Christ as a result of Paul's first missions trip. And Paul adopted Timothy. He became his disciple. Paul trained him. And years later, Timothy is overseeing a church when Paul writes him two letters. The letters we call 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And Paul here, as his spiritual father and mentor, writes to him on how he should lead the church and how he should teach the church. So, I want to remind you of a few of those passages. In 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul instructs Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. That would be exhortation from Scripture and teaching from Scripture. And then in 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul writes, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.2, what you have heard from me entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. What is the word of truth? It is the word of God, the Bible, what you have in front of you. We are to handle this rightly. Why? Because 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And therefore it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What is going to build you up? What is going to equip you for the work that God has called you to? It is the Word God, because it literally comes from Him, breathed out by Him. His Spirit moved upon the men who wrote the Scriptures, so that when we read it, we're reading His Word to us. How amazing is that? Amen? And finally, 2 Timothy 4.2, he says to young Timothy, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
Again, teaching according to the word. So here's my summary of proper building materials. The public reading of the word. Sound teaching of the word. Entrusting the word to others. Rightly handling the word. Correction and training by the word. Preaching the word. To reprove, rebuke, and exhort by the word and according to the word. Do you see a pattern here? The church will be properly built up through the preaching, teaching, and application of the word of God. You know, in our Sunday school class this morning, they were talking about the people of God who had been rescued from slavery in Egypt and taken into the wilderness. And God was feeding them daily with his manna. They had manna for breakfast, manna for lunch, manna for dinner. And it sustained them. They were healthy. They were strong. Perhaps stronger and healthier than they'd ever been because God himself was feeding them. But they got tired of it. They got tired. They got tired of God supplying them food in the wilderness. Imagine that. Let's not be like them. God has supplied us spiritual food. It's found in his word. And if you're like me, you have multiple copies of his word. Let's not grow tired of it. That is food for our souls. We need to avail ourselves of every means of Bible intake available to us. We need to take care how we build, how we're building our own life, how we're building in the lives of each other, how we're building his church. God has given us his glorious word that we may grow thereby. This is why the discipline of Bible intake is the most important spiritual discipline. This is why here at Christian Family Fellowship for the last 36 years, we have placed our emphasis on building Christ's church by preaching, teaching, and applying the Word of God. And we have been so very blessed by doing so. Let me tell you, it is a blessing to be a part of this church, this church family. And it's a blessing to think about all of the lives that have been touched through the ministry of this church. Back in our text, in verse 14, the Apostle Paul mentions a reward for all of those who have built properly upon the foundation of Christ. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we know that this reward is coming when Christ returns in power and in glory as our glorious King, when He returns to judge the living and the dead. But, There is a reward right now 
for Christ's fellow workers. What that eternal reward will be, we don't know the details. But the reality is that we're already being rewarded in so many ways for working together to build Christ's church. Think about it. What a reward it is to see our precious brothers and sisters in Christ growing in the grace and knowledge of God. Growing in Christ-likeness. And you see it, don't you? You see others growing, becoming more and more like Christ. What a blessing that is. What a reward to see precious children in our church being raised up in the fear and admonition of our Lord. What a blessing to see individuals choosing to trust in Christ for their salvation and being born again. Born again into a new life in Christ. What a reward to see them being baptized and being surrounded by a loving church family. What a reward to see individuals studying the Word of God together and growing in their understanding of who God is and how He works and what He expects from us and what He gives to us. What a reward to join together in supporting and working to build Christ's church here in our community and also through missions. What a blessing to see the light that this church has been in our community. Drawing people to Christ through his word. The list goes on. It's almost endless. We have so many rewards to be thankful for. And so much cause for rejoicing in this unfinished task that we have been given to be fellow workers with Christ in the building of his church. You know, sometimes we can become discouraged when we think of the enormity of this task and when we realize it is an unfinished task and will be an unfinished task until Christ returns. You know, I don't know about you, but I sort of like to finish things that I start. There's a, there's a reward in that. You know, we stand back and we say, look what I did. Right? Yet not I, but Christ in me. Right? So sometimes we can be discouraged when it takes so much time. But here's our blessing. Christ will build his church. And the gates of hell shall not avail against it. It is his church. We are called to be his co-workers, co-laborers. And we don't need to be discouraged. We need to be faithful to doing what he has equipped us to do. And that is to share his word with one another and with everyone else that God puts in our path. So I pray that you will join with us 
in this glorious task. And together, we will reap the rewards that come from our Heavenly Father above. Our Father rewards His children. You know that? Sure you do. You've experienced it over and over again. And I encourage you, continue to work together to build His church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.